Happy Mother's Day. I, I just want to do a couple really quick housekeeping things, uh, actually, before we begin, and then we're going to talk about mothers for just uh, a few moments and show you a quick video. So here's, uh, here's the first thing. Number one, thank you for all of your emails. Your emails have been great. Please keep the emails coming because it helps to give me ideas of what you're thinking about and what your questions are. I can't respond, or some, I try to respond to every email, but I'm not really hitting a home run on that. But I am reading them all, and it's very helpful, so please keep them coming. Number two, here's the second thing. These, uh, this is an eight-chapter book, the Song of Solomon, and so each of these messages, they're not standalone messages. And I know this is a highly kind of emotional subject, but none of these messages stand by themselves. It takes all eight of them to kind of complete the entire song. So just want to remind you of that because you know i said well why didn't you like today right today we're today we're going to talk about a man's responsibility to passion and so some of the men might say hey well hey man are you going to talk about the ladies we are we're not going to do that today today we're talking about a man's responsibility right so you say that with me today we're going to talk about a man's responsibility right so today is about the men come back on father's day maybe we'll talk about uh, women if we make it that far but uh, <laughs> It's all is all. Okay, one last thing, housekeeping before mothers. So some of you might have read the article that came out. I believe it came out on Friday. It was an Internet interview that I had done with a website called Arlington Now, which sparked a Channel 9 news piece that came out. It's like their second piece thing. Well, uh, here's the reason I'm saying this. So uh, that really focused on sex. I mean, it really... I mean, there's no doubt about it. And, uh, I mean, the lead story was that the Arlington pastor says couples just need to have more sex and there'll be less divorce. I, I haven't actually said that that I know of. Uh, and that's focusing much more on kind of the physical intimacy side than what I'm actually uh, doing. And so uh, sex is a powerful word. And it's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff there, and it grabs people's attention. So I think maybe when I did an interview, maybe that was the one thing that was like really being heard. You follow me? And so it came, kind of came you know, out that way when they led the Channel 9 news piece this past week. They did the promo for it. Like it was a promo, right, for the thing. And Arlington Pastor says everybody just needs to have more sex. So, and, then, and then the whole thing started when the, when the anchor said, you know, uh, Arlington Pastor says there needs to be more boom, boom in the bedroom. And then we went straight to Marvin Gaye and sexual healing. So I just want to, so I'm just trying to refocus, if I can, for just one brief second. And that is that this is really about relationships. Um, this, this, I mean, the guy asked me, I couldn't remember, why did he ask me? Is this some kind of publicity stunt? I understand now because I went and read all the posts off of that article. If you happen to go read that article, there's a lot of posts. Well, we're copying uh, a television program called GCB. I won't tell you what GCB, it stands for something. It's a show that's on ABC at night. We're not. We, GCB did something. I haven't watched the show, but they did something where it's about a church and they preached about sex and all this kind of stuff like this. We planned this series months, months ago, okay? And I think that was on, according to the post on there, about two weeks ago. Um, the only thing we're trying to accomplish here, everybody, is that we desire wonderful relationships. We do. Who says, I want to get married because I just want to have a mediocre relationship? Nobody says that. That's goofy. That's ridiculous. We, 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 we want to have smoking hot. And, and, and God says, who's the creator of it, says, I mean, let me give you a manual to talk about that. And sex is only one part of that. There's other pieces to that. So just want to clarify that in case your friends are saying, hey, what's the deal with church you're going to, man? So just want to say that. Although, uh, you know, that, 
that line of the opening, more boom, boom in the bedroom, is kind of growing on me. Uh, I'm starting to kind of embrace that just a little bit, but I want to say that. All right. Not enough of that. Here, um, here we go. Um, mothers. So for all that you do, we have given you a cupcake. And we hope the cupcake has, like, met all of your needs. And it's wiped away all the when we didn't thank you. So you had, you had your cupcake. You do so much. We want to show you a clip. It's from, I think, the CBS Morning News, something like that. And it's a comedian uh, lady who put together, she's a mother, all the stuff that mothers have to say throughout the day. It's really fast, but what she's talking about is all the words she has to say. So let's roll the clip and say something about moms. Here we go. Now, think of everything that you say to your kids every day. Brush your teeth, make your bed, eat your peas, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, comedian, author, and mother, Anita Renfro, took 24 hours of that mom talk. She squished it down to under three minutes and added a famous tune from the William Tell Overture. And now, this is a huge hit on YouTube. Can't wait till you have a couple little children of your own. You'll thank me for the counsel I gave you so willingly. But right now, I thank you not to roll your eyes at me. Close your mouth when you chew. We'd appreciate. Take a bite, maybe two of the stuff you hate. Use your fork. Do not burp. I'll set you straight. Eat the food. I put up on your plate. Get an egg in the door. Don't get smart with me. Get a grip. Get in here. I'll count two, three. Get a job. Get a life. Get a PhD. Get a ghost. And tell the truth for once, for heaven's sake. And if all your friends jumped off a cliff, would you jump too? If I said it once, I've said at least a thousand times before that you're too old to act this way. <laughs> actually with a mom the other night and she was on her phone with a kid and sound a whole lot just like that actually president lincoln said this about his mother he says all that i am or hope to be i owe to my mother so moms you do so much and we celebrate you we salute you my mom is here today i concur with abraham lincoln i say the same thing to my mom could we could could you just uh, indulge us for just a moment, moms. Would you stand so that we could honor you? Would you do that, please? Thank you so much. I, uh, I tell my kids all the time they're the most blessed kids in the world to have a mom like their mom. All right. Um, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse number 16. I'm just going to talk more about this verse, but uh, uh, I'm just going to keep it short on this particular verse. It says, my lover is mine and I am his. So some of you have wondered, why in the world would you be so foolish that on Easter Sunday you told us that story about telling your wife that you owned her? I, it was, I knew somewhere it was biblical. What this is talking about is that they own each other. You know the beautiful thing about this song? There's no competition. There's no struggle for power in the song. There's total mutuality. It's not you have more power, you have more power. It's not a, you know, a points contest. This is all about mutuality, and this is a wonderful, wonderful verse. We don't have time to unpack it. We're going to move into chapter 3. Uh, these messages, were, this is the third in this series of messages. We try, I try to do my best that when I speak that, you know, we try to keep it brief under 30 minutes. And I've been failing on that. I'm going to fail again today. So I'm just, I'm letting you know, maybe that'll ease it. I won't fail by much. I'll fail by five minutes. 
but uh, there's just so much packed in, in, in here, and there's a lot of questions that you all have, and uh, I want to try to make sure we hit some of these. So try to keep on point. I'm not trying to do any sermonizing today, but stay on point. No ADD moments. No boom, boom in the bedroom comments to get us off. No bunny trails like that. We're just going to try to just go. So she has a terrible nightmare in chapter 3. Uh, the first couple verses, five verses uh, of chapter 3, she just has this horrendous nightmare, which she talks about her core fears. Every man has core fears. We do. Every man does. That's what the professionals tell us. And every woman has core fears. And she is talking about the core fears that she has in her life in this nightmare. Let's read it. All night long on my bed. Here's the nightmare that she has. They're not yet married, everybody. All night long on my bed. I look for the one my heart loves. I look for him, but did not find him. Pay special attention to that. I did not find him. I will get up now and go about the city through its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I look for him, but didn't find him. The watchman found me as they made the rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. I held him. It would not let him go until I had brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me. What does that mean? Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Today we're going to talk about the responsibility of a man to passion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, speak to us today. Help us to learn what, what is the responsibility that a man has in this relationship of passion? Maybe it's something we already know and we just need to, we need to be inspired. We need to be determined this morning that we're going to begin to do it. Maybe it's something that we've never heard before. Maybe we didn't understand. We didn't know your expectation of us. Wherever we are in that, God, pray that we would learn today from your word and would make a difference in our lives to the glory of Christ. Amen. She has already told us in chapter 1, verse number 6, that she feels unattractive, a core fear of a woman, that she is unattractive. She says, don't stare at me. Please don't stare at me because I am not beautiful. She tells us that already. And now she tells us here that she has a very deep fear, a terrifying fear, that she will be abandoned and left alone. She's scared. She's desperate. She's built, hardwired by Almighty God to be in a relationship. She was created to be in a relationship with Adam. That's why God created her and designed her. She is the crown of creation, the greatest and most incredible thing that God ever could create. He stopped creating when he created the woman, and she's been created to be in this relationship. And she says, where are you? She has a core fear that she will be left alone. She's scared, and she's desperate, and she's sharing that in a very powerful way here. Her fears are driving her to make some very unwise and some very dangerous decisions. She goes out into the city at night alone. In her culture, that was completely unacceptable. It was embarrassing and a very bad decision, an extremely dangerous thing for her to do. This young single woman out in the city by herself. But she's panicking. And she's out there in the midst of the panic and she's looking and she can't find him. And finally she comes across him. And then what does she do? She clings to him like a frightened child, shaking. She grabs onto him and won't let him go, and then she drags him. And in the past, as she thought about the future when they were married, in the song in the chapters 1 and 2, when she thought about the future, she's going to take him, right, out of romance and out of love and out of being free. I'm going to take you, and we're going to be physically intimate. And she talked about that, but that's not the case here. 
The case here is now she's driven by fear and she's grabbing onto him and she's frightened and she drags him to her mother's room. What, what does it mean for the mother's room? The mother's room represents two things. First thing is this, the mother's womb. That's what it represents. Why? Because the mother's womb, what more safety and security could you possibly get in your life than in your mother's womb you will never be unattractive in your mother's womb you will never be in danger in your mother's womb you will never be rejected and alone or abandoned in your mother's womb and she's like duck you i drag you frightened like a child to my mother's room second thing it represents and here's this is a little strange in our culture it's strange not in their culture remember we have to view this historically the way they're writing it their understanding, it represented sensuality. It represented physical intimacy. That's what the mother's room represents. So what is she saying? Out of fear, she's dragging him to the place of sensuality. She is so afraid by her fear. She says, I will offer you my body if you will just never leave me. Don't leave me alone. I will offer you my body in order for you to stay this, everybody, is a very, very sad, sad scene. Sometimes women in our world, I hear about this often. I talk to ladies about this often. They sit on the couch in our house and talk to my wife and I, and they cry their eyes out. And they tell us about being driven by fears, about how they'll make unwise and very regrettable decisions. Sometimes a woman might offer her body because of fear and hopes that he will stay. Sometimes she'll offer her money. She'll offer her safety. She'll compromise her character, driven by fear and hopes and dreams that he will be committed to her, never abandon her, never leave her, but will always stay with her. And then comes the second warning. We talked about the first warning last week. Here's the second warning. Identical words, different message. So the first warning was this, verse number five. You see it there in your Bibles or on your sheets. Daughters of Jerusalem, single women of Jerusalem, all the single ladies. I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, by all of nature which God created in his natural order of progression of doing things. I charge you this. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. When that was given the first time, when the warning was given the first time, it was given in a moment of great passion. They were all worked up. I mean, they were just like on fire with love for each other. The passion was rolling very high. And like she caught herself like, whoa, wait a minute. Let's drink some cold water or something. We need to cool down. We don't want to, we don't want to insert physical intimacy before the natural time because it's going to mess everything up. That was the first time. The second time is completely different. The first time was great passion. This is great fear. What is she saying? In a moment of great fear, don't be very, be very, very careful about who you choose to be your lover. Because if you choose badly, women of Jerusalem, single ladies of Jerusalem, if you choose badly, you are putting yourself at risk. This could be very dangerous. Very, very dangerous to you. This is the message that she's saying. We talked about this a few weeks ago. What is character? Does anybody remember from two weeks ago what character is in a relationship. Anybody at all could, could one of the ladies, if you remember, just shout it out. King. Character is king. 
A man of character, when he learns about your fears, a man of character, when he learns about your fears and he knows what to do about your fears, he will protect you from your fears. A man who lacks character, once he knows what your fears are, he will exploit your fears. Big difference. So she says, be very careful. She gives a warning shot. Uh, Everybody know Michelle Pfeiffer? I thought it was interesting this past week, Parade Magazine did a piece on her, an interview with her about love and family. And you know what she says? She's been through some relationships, which she talks about in the interview just a little bit. And then she says this. Listen to this. And she's talking about spending couch time, being on a therapist's couch, okay? She says, this is the thing that I've learned after a lot of couch time. There are always red flags. See, here's the thing. Driven by fear, we ignore the red flags. I see it happens all the time. Red flags are all over the place. Oh, don't you want to think about when he did this or this or this? Oh, no. Driven by fear. So she says, there's always red flags. You need to look for those red flags along the way so you don't continue to make the same mistakes with another person. Really, look back and ask, how was I so hoodwinked here? Why did I do this? From the beginning, everybody, from the beginning, Michelle Pfeiffer says... You have to choose well. She's saying the same thing that the song is saying. If you choose badly, if you choose badly, no matter what you do, it's going to fail. And you're going to be unhappy. I chose really well with David, her current husband. And then she says this. You ready for this? I've never met a person who has more integrity than my husband, and I respect that. Character's king. If you don't believe the Bible, maybe you'll believe Michelle Pfeiffer. Character (laughs) is king. Choose very wisely. Look for the red flags. A man who lacks character will exploit it. A man who has character and understands it will protect it and will watch over you. One of the most sad things I ever experienced in my life as a minister. I was uh, 19 or 20 years old. I was on staff at a church up in Maryland. I was still in college driving back and forth each week. And we had a a woman in the congregation. She was about 40. She had a teenage son who was in my youth group. He was about 14 years old. And you could just tell that she, she had a deep longing, a fear, a desperation about being alone. And a guy came across her path, and he picked up on that fear. And all of a sudden, before you know it, here he comes into the church. And he's all dressed up, and, man, he's looking sharp. And he's saying all the right things. And I couldn't stand that guy. I hated that guy. I wanted to punch that guy in the face because I knew there was something wrong with that guy. They dated about a month, month and a half maybe. And by the end of two months, they were married. And a month into the marriage, after he took everything he could absolutely get, got, he just walked out. And that has sickened me to this day. A man who lacks character will exploit your fears for all he can get. A man who has character, figure out your fears and will protect you from your fears. That's what a man of character does. How does God want us to respond to a woman's need for relationship and the fact that a woman, just like a man, has certain core fears? What does God expect of us? How are we supposed to treat this crown of creation, the greatest piece of creation? Everything stops at creation with God with the woman. She is very, very special. And one of the things we have to get ourselves wrapped, our our brains wrapped around men, is that the woman is actually more special than we are. She is God's crescendo, okay? That's what we need to understand. 
and she's been hardwired for a relationship, and God has certain expectations, and he gives us a certain responsibility when it comes to a woman. And every man wants the approval of other guys around him. This is the school I went to. I went to this school. I went to this high, junior high school, okay? And when I was here, you know, you had to be cool, and you had to be accepted and respected by the other guys around you. If not, you got beat up, or you got put down, or whatever. You, know, you, understand, you understand what I'm saying? We look, for the, we look for the approval from our fathers, and many of us didn't get the approval of our fathers, and it hurt deeply. We look for the approval of our grandfathers, and there's some of us in this room, we never got the approval of our grandfathers. Our grandfathers said things about us and hurt us, and that hurt us deeply. So look, you might not ever get the respect of your friends or other guys around you. You might not get it from your dad. You might not ever get it from your granddad. They might not even be around you. They may have just left you alone. But I want to talk to you this morning about this one thing. Here's the way that you get the respect and the approval from Almighty God who trumps everybody else. You know, the guys I play basketball with, right, they might not all agree to the stuff I'm saying here this morning. But you know what? So what? One day I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Almighty God and he's going to say, Soldier, what did you do? When you learned what you were supposed to do, what did you do? I always want to know how to get an A. That's just the way I'm wired. I want to know how to get an A. So what God gives us in this story, here's how you get it. God has an expectation and there's a responsibility to passion that every man has. And it's contained right here in this story. And we see it other places all throughout the scripture. Here's the first thing I want to say to you, this. Adam didn't even know that he needed her, right? You never see Adam pulling God aside in the garden in Genesis chapter 2 and saying, hey, you know, God, I don't want to diss you on your creation, you know, because it's awesome. This garden is incredible, and the lions and the tigers and bears, and you're like running around naked and, and jumping across the streams and all this. This is really awesome. But you know what? You, you're missing something, God. Could, I need a woman. He never did that. He is clueless. He had no idea he had any need. God creates her. Hardwired for relationship. And comes to Adam and says, you need her. God tells us that all over the place in Scripture. You need her. Uh, I'm a guy, so I can talk about this. I didn't know how much I needed her. I have to trust God on that. God says, you need her. So, uh, what does he do? How does he respond to her need? Look what he does. Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verses 6, we'll start. It says this. He responds to her core fear this way. She tells the story. She says, what is this that I see approaching the desert, raising clouds of dust? I mean, it's almost like the theme song for the Lone Rangers in the background. Whatever, right? I can't, I'm not good at music, so I can't play the theme song correctly. But here he comes. But he's not alone. He's got a whole bunch of people. He's coming to the rescue. He's gotten up on his horse. And he's heard about her fears. And here comes the knight in shining armor. This is how he's to respond. Look, it's Solomon. It's Solomon's carriage. He's carried, guarded by 60 soldiers, 60 of Israel's finest, all of them armed to the teeth, trained for battle, ready for anything at any time. Come and look, sisters in Jerusalem. Oh, sisters of Zion, don't miss this. My king lover, dressed in garland for this wedding, and his heart is full and bursting with joy. You know, it's full and bursting with joy. 
not just because it's his wedding day, but because he's doing the exact thing that God wants him to do. Notice what she says. She has a fear. She has a fear of danger. She's made some very bad uh, decisions. She's put herself in a lot of jeopardy. And so when he hears about her fear driving her to do things, what does he do? What does he come with? He comes with 60 of Israel's most elite soldiers. His father, David, traveled with 30 bodyguards, the best of the best. What's he come with? Double. He said, you have a fear? Here I come. You have a fear? I'm not just going to meet your need. I'm going to go way past your need. I want to make sure that you know that you are at all times, anywhere, anytime, you are okay. I am your knight in shining armor. I am coming for you. I want to protect you. This is what God expects. I was reading something recently out of one of the books on your suggested reading list, the Keller book. I just want to read it to you just for a moment. Uh, if I can, it is a, something that was done recently called the National Marriage Project. Maybe you'll find it fascinating. So I just want to read to you a few lines from it, okay? Uh, specifically here, they were talking uh, to uh, single men, but also this will affect married men as well, all right? Uh, and they're talking about what attracts you to a woman to get married. Here's what they found out. It's a major study that was done. Sexual attractiveness was not the number one factor. Sexual attractiveness for a man was not the number one factor. Now, that ought to get your attention. Really? Uh, men named in the survey by the National Marriage Project said, they said compatibility above all meant someone who showed, compatibility was the number one thing they looked for, compatibility showed a willingness to take them as they are and not change them. More than a few of the men expressed resentment at a woman who would try to change them. Some of the men described marital compatibility as finding a woman who will fit into their life. One guy said, if you're truly compatible, then you don't have to change. Any married men have any comments that you want to make about that? I mean, is that reality? I'd love to talk to you if it is. Okay, goes on. The researchers asked the men they were interviewing if they realized that women their age faced pressures to marry and bear children before they were biologically unable to do so. The men knew full well that the postponement of marriage made it more difficult for peer women to achieve their life goals, but they were unsympathetic. As one put it, that's their issue. Many of the males in the research were adamant that their relationship with a woman should not curtail their freedom at all. The report concluded that cohabitation gives men regular access to domestic and sexual ministrations of a girlfriend while allowing them to lead a more independent life and to continue to look around for a better partner. Hardwired for relationship, God's putting certain things in a woman, that's their issue. Is it, what, does the Bible have any expectation on that? I mean, is that okay? I mean, a bunch of guys that I talk to say, yeah, what, what's wrong with that? I just want to read you something from the Bible, again, real quick. Deuteronomy 25. It's not on your notes. All right? And I'm very well aware that it's not a perfect comparison but I believe in my heart it's close enough and it shows an expectation out of Almighty God about this issue. So what you have here in this thing, and there's other stories that I could turn to that are also very powerful, but what you have here is a woman who is married and her husband dies. 
She's a widow. She has no children. Okay? And here's the expectation out of her husband's younger brother. Right? If a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, the brother that died, okay, doesn't want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, my husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill his duty of a brother-in-law to me. Then the elders of his town shall summon him and talk to him. If he persists in saying, I don't want to marry her, his brother's widows shall go up to him, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face and say, this is what's done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. That man's line shall be known in all of Israel as the family of the unsandaled. Well, who wants to be called the family of the unsandaled? My goodness. That's a terrible thing, is it? I understand it's not an absolute perfect comparison. We could talk about Judah and Tamar. Tamar, who is in the line of Jesus Christ and his lineage, it's a woman. We could all talk about the kinsman redeemer of Booth and Roaz. Boaz, we could put all these stories together and we could build a case. We don't have time to build that whole case this morning. I just want to simply say this. It seems to me in the Bible that there's an expectation that exists in the Bible. It's kind of an expectation that seems to be there. And the expectation is not to say, you know... That's their problem. That's their issue. It doesn't seem like God is saying the crown of his creation should be treated that way. That's what it seems like to me. Now, uh, if we want the approval of, you know, everybody in Maxim magazine, then you're cool. But if you want to think about standing before a holy God one day and what is his expectations, then we're not cool. And if we want to get an A for God, then we're not cool. And this is his expectations of us. Now, let's turn to husbands for a moment if we can i have a scripture verse uh that i want to share with you it's ephesians 5 and it's verse number 23 and some uh some women absolutely hate this verse and i read it on websites about women saying they hate church and they hate the bible and this is one of the main verses they point to and it's terrible and it's chauvinistic and it's disgusting so here's what it says the husband is the head of the wife right women does that just like thrill your heart I mean, when you read that verse that he is your head, he is the husband is the head. He's the head of the home. He's the head of the wife. You say, yes. Woo. Yes. Are you excited about that? I meet very few women that say yes. And I'm hoping in the next few moments to explain what this means. And that at the end of this, you'll say, oh, okay. Yes. Thank you very much. Because some people have read the Bible and they've heard it a certain way. And out of their own ignorance, they go and they tell everybody, oh, yeah, the husband's the head. He's the master. It doesn't mean the master. You know what it means? Simply this, responsibility. The husband is the ultimate responsibility in the home. He is responsible in the home. He's responsible for the marriage. If the marriage is not going well, God looks at the husband and says, you're responsible. Yeah, but she. No, no, no. I don't care about she. Don't talk to me about she. I'm talking about you. That's what God says. You can talk to your counselor and your buddies all day about her. But when you get to God, God going to say, you know what? I hold you responsible for it. Let me show you what I mean by this. Who sinned first? Who knows their Bible well enough to know who ate the fruit first? Anybody? She did. Eve, Eve did. All right, well, look, look, look what happens here in Genesis 3. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And, the, and, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the woman and said, Eve, what did you do? 
Is that what he did? She ate the fruit. He comes down to the garden and says, Adam, where are you? He calls the man. He says, where are you? Oh, wait a minute. That's really reminiscent already this morning, isn't it? The nightmare in chapter 3 that she has. Where are you? Where are you? God's saying the same thing. Where are you, man? Soldier, where are you? Have you left your post? Have you left your post? Who is God holding responsible here? Well, Romans 5.12, if you were not clear on anything, we get really clear in the book of Romans where it says, sin entered the world by who? By one woman? No, one man. Well, she ate it first. And he tried to tell God that in the garden. Guys, I'm not really interested in what you have to say. I'm holding you responsible because you're the head. You bear all the responsibility. If the relationship isn't going well, you bear the responsibility. If your wife isn't flourishing, it's your responsibility. That's what God looks at a husband. That's a pretty heavy order. Wives, does anybody feel, does anybody, any woman in the room feel excited about that? That your husband would take the responsibility and say, you know what? If it's not going well, it's my responsibility, not your issue. You don't need to go talk to a counselor. You don't get to talk to the pastor. You don't get to talk to your girlfriends. My responsibility is my issue. I will deal with it. I'm the head of the home. Right? This is what we see in the scriptures of God saying this. We talk about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Who dies for all the sins of the world? The head dies. Jesus Christ. Responsibility. It is never her issue, according to God's word. It is always your issue. That is your responsibility. That's God's expectation out of you. And he's going to look at you one day and say, what did you do, soldier? Did you take responsibility for that? It's really harsh words. It's very clear. What else, what else is ahead? What do they do? They outserve everybody else. Jesus Christ outserves everybody else. Head of, the, head of the house, Jesus Christ, head of the church. Head. So what do you see Jesus Christ doing at the Last Supper? What's he doing? Washing everybody's feet. So in the home, a husband has to outserve everybody else. A husband's not a master in his home and is like at his beck and call. Hey, you know, bring me the remote. You know, give me another beer. How about some chips? Let's go. Let's go. Come on, woman. Let's go. Right? In God's home, with God's expectation, with God's... That husband has to outserve her. And God's going to ask us on judgment day, did you outserve her? Because if you didn't outserve her, you lost. You didn't get an A. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 24. This is really great. When a man takes a new wife, he's not to go out with the army. So no army service or be given any business or work duties. Like he's supposed to take a whole year off, no duties. He's to get one year off simply to be at home so his wife can make him happy. Is that what it says? That's what the master does. The master sits at home. That's what biblical ignorance is. Okay? But actually, a knowledge of the Bible, when you understand what the Bible is saying, and you dig down and you study the Bible, and you understand it's about service, you understand that the husband is out serving the wife, and he's to take a whole year off to learn how to make her happy. And that's how you get an A with God. You learn how to make her happy. So, God gives us this uh, passion manual. And I want to talk about just three quick points here in conclusion, how we earn an A with God. The first one is this. Your responsibility is to never stop noticing her. Never stop noticing. And inherent in that, guys, 
inherent in that, guys, is the responsibility here to never stop praising her. All right, so I want to say this. I said that in the first service, and uh, maybe some of this happened here today. There's a lot of guys and girls, and they're sitting side by side. And there's some husband and his wife sitting side by side, and maybe this is happening in the service like it happened in the first. I see all the women with pens in their hands, and I see them with the bulletin there, and they're writing notes. Okay, now here's the time where you look at your man, and you say, man up. It's time to stop being a little boy. It's time to be a big boy. Put on your big boy pants. This, this is what God's saying. All right? this, I'm sorry. This is what God's saying. I don't, I'm, not, I'm a man too. I've failed many times. So don't think that I'm just being harsh. I'm, I'm, a, I'm just an idiot. You, you will talk to my wife. She'll tell you. Okay? But here's the time that Almighty God looks at us. Hey, hey look, what, time to man up. Get your pen. Get your paper out. You write this down. What happens is the wife just writing like crazy. Oh, and he's just sitting there. Okay, all right. So your responsibility is to never stop knowing. Well, you know, I told her I loved her, and I told her she was beautiful 15 years ago when we got married. What more do you want from me, right? Or I tell her all the time. She's like, you tell me like once a month. What you see in the song is the guy is praising her and noticing every detail about her and praising her from start to finish. Every chapter, he's doing the same thing over and over. He never stops. He never stops pursuing. He never stops noticing. He never stops seeing those details. He does this every day. Why? It's his responsibility. It's his responsibility of passion that God put on him. So in chapter 4, I didn't give you the verses. You can read it on your own. In chapter 4, at the beginning of the first seven verses, he notices her eyes and talks about her eyes eyes, her hair, her teeth, her lips, her temples, her neck, and yes, even her breasts. And in verse number seven, he says this, he sums it all. He says, all beautiful you are, my darling, all beautiful, not half beautiful. You're not 25% of a tank, hundred percent beautiful. You are my darling. And there is no flaw in you. No flaw. There's no perfect person. Everybody has a flaw. And he says, there's no flaw in you. All he sees in her is her beauty. Never stops. Do you notice this? Think about this for a second. All right? Genesis chapter 2. Right? The woman gets created. God never went to Adam and said, Hey, Adam, let's talk a minute. What would you like this woman to look like? And God just got out his clipboard and his pen and said, Go ahead, just to, you know, describe her. 36, 24, 36. Oh, yeah, really? You want... <laughs> You want, her to, you want her to look like that? Okay. I never thought of that combination before, but good idea. You know, that's awesome. Yeah. God didn't do that. God made a woman with no input from Adam whatsoever. And he brings this woman, this crown of creation, to Adam and says, there she is. And you know what that means? This wife is your type. This is your type. This is what you're into. You're into this. That's the problem with pornography. A full buffet of all kinds of women. Guys see it. Oh, man, I want this type. I want this type. Just screws our relationship up royally. That's what you're... You look at your wife right now. That's the type that you're into. My wife is five foot four and spunky. I am all into five foot four and spunky. It's the only thing I see. It's the only thing I see. Five. God never asked. God never asked Adam, tell me what you want. He says, here she is. This is what you're into, boy. Okay? And that's the only thing you see. And there's no other standard for beauty out there for you. There is no other standard. She is your standard of beauty. You want to have a smoking hot relationship? Then she's your standard of beauty. And if she's not, you'll never have a smoking hot relationship. God knows how things work. So, never stops noticing her. All right, um, can I read you something real quick? It's, this is not on your suggested reading list. I want to read you a story. It's uh, kind of sad, actually, about a husband and wife. 
Uh, we'd been married for 17 years, and the TV is still more important to him than me. Recently, while staying in a hotel, I purchased a new nightie. When I changed clothes in front of him, his look was one of disgust. Keith didn't have to say a word. The look on his face told me exactly how he felt about me. I feel so rejected physically, I can't count on one hand in the last two years the times that Keith has told me that I look nice. He's never at home in the evenings to help me with the children, and on weekends, Keith usually finds something other than family to keep him busy. When I've tried to talk about this, I get yelled at or spoken down to. I hate living like this. I don't know where to turn for help. This is what God expects of men. This is. This is the romance book of the Bible. This is God's expectation. We have to notice her. Number two, your responsibility, men, is to never stop listening to her. To never stop listening to her. He listens to her. He listens to her hopes. He listens to her dreams. He listens to her fears. He never stops listening to her. I want to encourage you guys to make a list of questions and ask your wife those questions. Ask her open-ended questions. Ask her. Ask her good questions and then just sit back and listen. Say things to her like, tell me your dreams and let her talk. Tell me your fears and let her talk. Tell me what it was like growing up in your household. What was your mom like? What was your relationship like with your mom? What was your relationship like with your dad? And let her talk. Tell me your spiritual journey. Well, you say, I've heard her spiritual journey. Tell it again. You learned something new. What is your favorite restaurant? And why is it your favorite restaurant? My wife said something to me uh, about a week ago. And she thought, as normal, I wasn't listening. She was wrong. She said, our lives are really crazy. And as, our, as the day goes on in our lives, in our home, it just ramps up. Because I do a lot of meetings. Krista does a lot of meetings too. So both of us have lots of meetings. And a lot of those meetings happen at night. And then our kids are like really busy with sports. They're both way into sports and really busy. Our night times are just a mess. And she just said to me just one day, just nonchalantly, she said, it'd be great. It's just one time, like before all the meetings and all the events start up at night. If you just like came home, you took the family, we got something, went out to got something to eat. Because it would take the pressure off. She didn't think I was listening. I listened. And I did it this past week. It was awesome. Wait a minute. Smoking hot. Listen, I listen. What's your favorite? What's your? Not enough boom boom in the bedroom. Uh, okay. What's your favorite vacation place and why? What's your favorite book of the Bible? Okay. Uh, gosh, it's twelve ten. Shoot. All right. All right. I'm gonna fly. I'm almost done. I'm sorry. Sorry. Uh, I've noticed a very bad trend in counseling when I sit down with husbands and wives, and this has happened for the last 10 years. The guys are talking incessantly. Women talk more than men. We all know this. This is a verified fact. And I sit down. It's like the whole world has changed. And I finally got to the point after this has happened time and time, I said, I'm sorry. I want to respectfully say, really, you need to shut up. You need to let her talk. I'm sorry, the guys are talking five times. Ask Good questions and let her speak. That's the only way you're going to know how she feels. She has three, I hear three major fears all the time. Women tell me they want to be spiritually led. Married and single women say, I want to be spiritually led. So husbands, here's what you do, okay? This is what you do, listening to her. You, you be the first, you know how they say on sports, be the first to the ball? Like you're watching basketball. We're all watching the NBA playoffs, right? Yes. Okay, so uh, they commented, said, look, look, look. They're the first to the ball. That's why they're winning the game. Every loose ball they get to the first of the ball, guys. Be the first of the ball. 
Be the first one to the ball every time. Be the first to say spiritually, let's pray. Not her, you. Let's pray. Take her by the hand, let's pray. You got kids? Be the first to say every single night. Go into those kids and then lay your hands on them. And just beg Almighty God to watch over them. Be the first to be the first to say, let's go to church. Be the first to say, let's read the Bible. Be the first to lead spiritually. Second thing, major need is she's very relational. Very hardwired for relation. Be the first to say, I'm sorry. Be the first to say, let's go on a date. Be the first to say, let's sit down and go over our calendars so we make sure that we block off time for you and me. And finally, be the first to make things financially right. Be the first to say, let's get out of debt. Be the first to say, I'm, I'm not going to spend foolishly anymore. Let's make a budget. Be the first to get the life insurance. Be the first to get a savings plan. Take care of those things. We're rounding the bend. Your responsibility is to never stop serving her. Just like the head, Jesus Christ, you have to out-serve her. It is a man's responsibility. Jesus Christ wasn't up in heaven one day, and an angel came to him and said, Hey, Jesus Look at those people down there. They're dying in their sins. And Jesus said, that's their issue. What do you want me to do about it? He comes down. He seeks us out. He gets up on a cross, washes our feet, gets up on a cross, and takes all responsibility for all of our sins and dies for us. That's the responsibility of a man, to never be outserved. I'm very sorry that I've gone over. I hope you'll forgive me. God bless you for doing it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, so much for your word. Your word is absolutely powerful. You show us in your word your expectation of every man here in this room. You show us in your word how we can get an A. Lord, the question now becomes simply this. Will we as men rise to the challenge? Will we rise to the challenge, Lord? Help us, God, to respond in the way that you want us to. And I ask this in your most holy name. Amen. God bless you. We're not going to close with a uh, um, uh, song, but I think we have cupcakes. Have a great day.